Please, please, please. Plenty of space at the front, in the middle. Don't worry, we're not going to say anything. You're all good here. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Is everyone okay? We've got a quiet crowd. We've definitely got a quiet crowd. Thank you. Welcome, everyone, to our first live recording of FlexCast. So excited to do this. Thank you so much to the Mixcloud guys for getting us here. This has been the easiest flex we have ever done. Um, I'm Amy and I run Flex with Jams. I work at Island Records and uh, we are very, very excited to have a wonderful guest with us today. Yeah, we are. Um, so my name is Jams. Um, I work at BBC Radio 1 Extra. Uh, I'm a DJ. And myself and Amy, shout out to the new people that are here. We started Flex about four years ago. And it kind of just started off as uh, an event that we wanted to do because we'd always bump into each other and really liked each other. But we never hung out. We'd be like, oh, let's go and get a drink. Oh, let's go and hang out. And we never did it. And we thought, oh, imagine how many people we say on a daily basis, let's meet up and you just never do. So we thought, what if we started an event for just initially our friends in music to connect and hang out. We started off in the basement of a coffee shop on Great Portland Street. We bought all the drinks ourselves. Um, and then it's just really grown. So we've done some incredible events. Uh, we've done International Women's Day at the Curtain. Uh, we've done rooftop parties. And our sort of ethos is just really to be relaxed. Mostly the events that we do, we just drink. And that's <laughs> why people love it. Um, but we started the podcast last year. Uh, we did like two episodes. Um, and this year we thought we'd just amp it up a little bit and kind of mix the podcast in with our events. So yeah, this is where we are. Um, so I'd love to introduce our amazing guest tonight, the first live guest that we're having. Her name is Hannah Shogbola. She is a senior agent at Echo Location and she's an incredible woman. Loads and loads of wisdom will get shared tonight. So first of all, Hannah. That was a really big intro. Well, I haven't <laughs> even started. I haven't even got onto who you look after yet. We're going to get there. But you, you, do, you do some incredible work and your name is a really respected name in the industry. So many people know you, have worked with you or working with you or going to be working with you or want to be on your roster. Um, so I kind of want to jump to the beginning and find out what was your sort of, when you were coming up, did, was it music that you always wanted to get involved in? Yeah, I think it sounds like quite a stereotypical story, but when I was growing up, I kind of didn't really know what I was going to do, wasn't very good at school, et cetera, et cetera. And I got an opportunity to go and work for a company shadowing a music PR. And I kind of fell into it, to be honest. But as soon as I started working in the music business side of things, I had such a passion for it that I was like, this is what I want to do. So I did everything I could from like 15 to kind of achieve that. And that started me off doing music broadcasting. Um, so I studied that, went to university. But before that, I was doing a lot of like work experience and my first official job was actually at this really old school UK hip hop company called That Sound with a D. Don't judge me. <laughs> it was like, so I started off um, packing like mail outs, like literally being very hands on and like shadowing a lot in the studio, like literally so like some of the things I used to have to do like rolling spliffs to bloody MCs, it was very pathetic. But it taught me a lot and from there I was like, I really need to do this and I want to continue to do this. Did that answer it correctly? 
How did so, you find out about the work that you were doing, like the experience? Do you know what? I was thinking when you sent me some of the questions, I was like, how did I get that job to start off with? And I can't remember that sound because basically I think I was about 16 or 17 when I was doing that role. So I think it was even actually illegal for them to even employ me at that point. But one of the, one of the other jobs that I fell into was actually through to somebody who's in the audience now, who I met in a smoking area. Uh, um, a woman who's now at Virgin Jade who ran a night called I Love Live and that used to be in near Oxford Circus I think it was and anyway, I, I was in the courtyard smoking a fag and this girl came up to me and was like I really like your voice and I was like who me? and, um, and she was like I work for one extra do you want to come and be a journalist? and I was like fuck it can I swear? and I was like oh my gosh I don't, I don't have any like, experience whatsoever anyway it turned out that you know we met and she took a, a real kind of pun on me and she brought me in and I w the next week I was like on air as like a music journalist <laughs> and it was like I know that sounds like a really ridiculous story but it was one of those examples of literally just meeting somebody in a smoking area having a chat she kind of saw a lot of passion in me and gave me a step up in that sort of way and that just just doing that gave me experience to kind of put on my CV and hype it up and that was a really great experience for me and, and to this day we're still like she's like one of my best friends what? Big ups, thanks for that, mate. Yeah, shout out now. Get paid now. <laughs> what, were you, what were you talking about on air? Was it like reviews that you oh were doing? Oh gosh, it was so bad. So basically, it wasn't bad, it was amazing. But <laughs> this one thing, no, 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 like this one time, basically you had to review singles. And one of the guys on there was Lethal Bizzle. And I remember that I didn't know who he was. And I like cussed out the track and I felt so bad. Because then years later, I, I met him and he's like so nice and really good. And I, I was just so young. I mean, how old was I then? Like 18 or something? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was really embarrassing. I'm trembling with like the thought of it being it's so embarrassing. But it was wicked. But so often opportunities in the music industry can come up off of those one chance meetings. But then in order to stay doing what you're doing, that's when the kind of real graph begins. So Yeah, it kind of like to go on to like the journey of becoming an agent, which is probably what I'm here to talk about today, was actually which is kind of bad when I explain it because it was actually off a total coincidence. Like, I'll be really honest, I actually was really young and I was working for Fabric. I was working on the booking team and like actually doing a lot of the sound checks, running around, like really assisting on every level. And then I got made redundant because matter closed and there was lots of situations there. And that was when I was like, shit, I've got bills to pay and I, I need to pay my rent. Like I didn't really have that like support blanket of like, cool, like just take a few months to find yourself. I was like really up shit's creek. Anyway. Luckily, Sean Roberts, who was one of the head bookers for Friday, actually hit me up after I'd left and said, there's this job advert at William Morris as an agent's assistant. I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Didn't have a clue what it was. So I spent the whole night, like, reset. It was literally, like, 24 hours later that I had the interview. So I, st I literally found that it's very predominantly, like, business-based. It's about contracts. It's about learning about money. And I thought, I can do that. So I went in, and I really blagged it hard, but I had a lot of passion for it. And they gave me the job. So I started off right at the bottom there. I worked in a role called Music Central, which is basically, like, making tea and doing mail-outs again. I was like, shit, this is... But they're really hardcore there, because it's a big American company. And... Um, from that, I ended up working with a guy called Nick Cave, not the Nick Cave. Like, okay. I bloody I wish. Like, yeah. crikey, that'd be well sick. I'd just pretend it was Nick Cave. Um, and then I ended up assisting him, and that was the real start of my career. And that was about, I think, nearly 10 years ago. Maybe it's seven. We'll say seven because I'm super young. But it was like, it was, um, that was my first input into becoming an agent. And from there, I assisted for five years. I worked on lots of acts like MIA, Paul Capbrenner, Trent Moller, like lots of um, electronic, like dance music and stuff. And, um, and then I got headhunted by Obia Seeker, who now owns Echo Location, which is where I work now. And that was a real, like, that was the carving of my career. 
Yeah. If you were to look back at all the roles that you've done, you know, oh from <laughs> you know, from working for that sound and the hip hop artist mm. to broadcasting on air, um, to working at fabrics, what are some of the transferable skills that you took to make you the agent that you are now? Hustle, probably. Just like literally working because it's so business orientated, I think. A lot of the things that I learned was being really super organized and never missing an opportunity. So like even one of my other jobs working on the door, yo, yo, I don't know if you ever went to it in Notting Hill for years. And that was like, at first it was like, sick, I get a free bar tab, this is wicked. But then it was like, then you noticed all the people that were there. So we were doing like shows with like, I think Kanye West did a show there, Yummy Bingham, Lupe Fiasco, like Mark Ronson, Annie, like loads of people here actually when I was out having another cigarette. Um, there, we were like, shit, I haven't seen you since like yo-yo. And now I've forgotten what the question was originally. Yeah, so that working on that, like on the door there, meeting people and like networking, using the opportunities of me meeting people that were like managers with rosters of artists and just understanding what every single person did and maintaining those contacts has definitely contributed to what I'm doing at the moment because I'm still in contact with all of them and we work together still. I mean, super broad question, but were there different tools that you found as a woman coming through that that the men had that you had to do or didn't do? Or like, was there a differentiation there? Here we go. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, I think, do you know what? It's interesting because a lot nowadays, the conversation about that is is much more relevant, not relevant, it's, much, it's spoken about a lot more. Whereas at the time, I think that you do notice it. Like there was a massive distinct lack of like, you know, females in the industry, particularly with the agency world. So... At, say, for instance, I shouldn't really cuss out companies because I'm not cussing them out, but say, for instance, when I first walked into William Morris, there was only one agent, and that was, like, out of, like, 20. One so, female agent. Yeah. So when I look back, I think, like, flip, that's really bad. Do you know what I mean? And it, it made me kind of be like, why is that? And it upset me a lot because then you get a lot of male agents that had a lot of female assistants, and that sort of dynamic, I'm not really down. I think it shouldn't matter, but, like... I don't know, it it's probably still affects me a bit now because then it makes you fight for more. Like, when I'm working with people, I always want to have, like, an equal team on every level. Um, but certainly there were moments that were, like, quite depressing. And there's a lot of, like... I mean, obviously there's sexism, but I think a lot of the experience I had was kind of, like, bullying a bit. Like, you know, people do kind of shout at you or have a go at you or talk to you in what I regard as quite a disrespectful way. Does that explain it enough? Like, it's it's quite hard to, like, divulge exact stories because then you have to kind of name names, and that's a bit, way too many of you here right now to do that. But, like, we'll talk about later. But, um, but, yeah, like, maybe we'll do, like, another secret podcast and, like, we'll rename the people. And then like, I'll be like, you know, Peter. Um, Don't work with him. Yeah, he's all right. But you know what I mean? Like, but I think the positive thing is, is that nowadays the conversation is much more prominent. It's, we're starting to make a change for that. Like with Echo, like we're like equal numbers. There's like, you know, men, there's females, there's like every different ethnicity. And that's been a massive part of why I think when I got headhunted by Echo Location was why I left William Morris, because I didn't have many like strong females that were like mentoring me there. And that really disappointed me because places like Fabric, I did like for years. I had more prominent female figures when I first started at like 15 to 18 than I did when I went to one of America's biggest agencies, which is depressing. Yeah. And what would you say your role is now? Like what do you do day in, day out? Um, okay, would well, you all know what like an agent does or do I need to explain that? Okay, so my 
core role as, as an agent is booking shows. So my job is to manage a roster of clients, which are artists like DJs, singer-songwriters. And my role is to go out and source them shows. So that might be festivals, club shows, live shows. And I have to make sure that everything is perfect from like the venue, the deal financially, what people are going to make, the set times, artwork, like everything. And then on top of that, I work really closely with a lot of my clients. So I help develop them and link them up with labels, with um, videographers, photographers, like everything. So... You're kind of like a bit of a jack of all trades, but you're confined within events. That's kind of what you do. So it's kind of like spinning a lot of plates. Yeah. Should we talk about some of those events? Uh, yeah. Should we talk about our favourite <laughs> festival? Yes. Can anyone guess? <laughs> it's definitely Glastonbury. <laughs> um, how? Uh -oh. What's the? What's the? Right. Firstly, serious question. When you're when you're talking about like the festival bookers, mm. do they go? We're going to be conscious and book fifty fifty men and women or is it a case of you've got to be the person that's driving that how does that conversation work do you know what it's only been this last year that i've actually had promoters actively email me to try and enforce an equal split lineup which in itself even just saying that is actually scary but i'm kind of have this double-sided take on it whereby i still stand by no matter what you still need to be a good artist you need to be a talented dj because like and no offense but there is a lot at the moment along with everything in the creative industry where there's a lot of things which I regard as people running before they can walk and that's something that I try and fight against as in like my roster is pretty much 50-50 but every single person that I represent is based on their talent and I've always pushed for it like one of my biggest artists is Hannah Wants I've looked after her for years she's incredible and she has always been so talented and I think that looking back yeah it's kind of crazy when you think shit I'm on all these festivals and there's like one or two females on the lineups. So I think it's great that there's a change happening at the moment. And I think my role and my job is to continue to push that, but to always ensure that we're creating a very even playing level of like, is that, I'm so crap with words sometimes, but a very like constructed creative platform that is not just booked on the basis of like, I'm just gonna book this person because they're a female. Because that's just like demeaning to ourselves, is it not? 100%. What's your, uh, what's the holy grail, like, of getting a book in? Is it a certain slot of Glastonbury or, like, Reading? Like, for you personally as well. Ooh. Do you yeah. know what? I think the thing is with me, and it's not even me trying to pretend and say this, but even my artists, which are, like, which I might go and watch them play and it's, like, 100 people in a club or, like, going to watch all of my live acts in, like, the room of a flipping pub with, like, 50 people in it. For me, it's, like, if I'm stood with them and seeing them enjoy their performance, looking at a crowd, like, it's incredible. I mean, obviously, there's incredible moments in my career where I've done like Brixton Academy with Crops FM and stood there with them and been like fuck yeah this is sick like and having Stormzy come out and be like a secret guest or like Steve's come out of the ceiling pretending that he was high on drugs like falling out like with a harness on those sort of moments have been like wow this is like I think back to when it was like 14 year old me at a bloody free party like going nuts and now I, and then when I stand there in a club or a night that I've worked on I'm like you still get that, like, rah, like, when I'm leaving Glastonbury and I'm not, you know, walking to a shit bus and I'm, like, in a car. I'm, like, <laughs> fucking yes. Like, I've made it. Like, you still get those pangs. Like, honestly, it's wicked. Even getting an Uber here. It was a BMW, so I was, like, well excited, innit? <laughs> and as a DJ, Hannah wants his trajectory. I think so many of us look at it and think, wow. And I also know that there was a lot of work and graft that went into before we saw her doing all those headline shows. So you, as an agent, you take on Hannah wants. Tell me what the strategy was. Tell me the highs and the lows. How did it work? Well, do you know what? Weirdly, the way I worked with Hannah was actually because I kept seeing her 
on these lineups in Birmingham, and I was like, obviously she's called Hannah, and I'm called Hannah. It was that. And that I was like, I'm gonna hit her up. And I was like, I really like you, like Hannah, Hannah, isn't it? And then um, <laughs> advice. And then no, but then basically it was, it was mainly as well because then I, I was like, can I come and watch you play? Like, can I come? I listening to her mixes and stuff, and I was like, she's really, really sick. And then I was like, you know, at that point, you know, this was me doing shows with people like for a hundred quid a, a set, and I really, really respected her and still do because she grafted like nobody else I'd ever seen like you know she was this Birmingham girl that you know was going to Ibiza on these seasons and like she just loved the music and she loved the rave and we were very similar in that sort of sense so we kind of built together and I just worked on kind of putting her on loads of lineups like every lineup that I could possibly do and then she kind of blew up because she had this massive track and it was so funny because my boss when I first signed her I was like oh you want to do this with me he's like no no this will be your first one do it on your own and then I was like six then two years later she was huge and then you, as you propel somebody and build them in their career you can become more defined in what you do and you can really take a step back and go right let's curate a brand let's build this let's build on your production of your show let's like make some visuals let's add things and you know sometimes it's it's luck, it's hard work, it's everything. But I spent a lot of time pushing her and speaking to every promoter and being like, you need to listen to this chick, you need to put her on your lineup. She's amazing. Like, and that's what I did. And, and it's like from all sides, it worked really well. How do you usually find new talent? Is there a particular platform you go to? Is it live shows already that they're doing or is it a range? It's a range of things, really. I mean, you have to be very um, proactive being an agent because you work on commission. So you're working, you know on a, sorry, I totally lost my thought then because he flashed his light. <laughs> um, How you have dare to, you? You have to be really proactive. Can you repeat the question, please? Because I totally got distracted then. What did I ask? Oh, how you... <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I'm too busy knowing if he's going to do in this angle or another one. Um, in terms of finding and sourcing new okay. acts. Okay, so with sourcing new acts, I proactively go out to lots of events still to this day. There might be showcases where there's up-and-coming artists. I'll spend a lot of time with friends who are managers that are signing new people. Relationships are key because... I always want people to know that I'm still passionate no matter who I look after or what level I'm at. I'm still going to come to your show at 5am in the morning. I'm still going to come to that. and I'm going to be there and I'm going to watch you. And there's also the other side where there's people that I really want. And then you have to kind of like do the whole like, what are you saying? I know your agents are right, but they're not as good as me. And But I'm also like... <laughs> But I'm also a massive advocate for not... Because in agency world, a lot of people do try and snake you. They'll try and steal your acts. I'm also a big advocate for not being like that and actually try not to be. Because I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me with my clients. So I think it's just kind of like trying to be naturally around and showing that you're passionate, being at events, going to events, being active online, you know, just being amongst it. And then things come to you naturally. I want to um, find out about the plot and the plan then you would have for a live act. And I kind of want to use a new act because I've been able to see it from the other side. Uh, so I want to use Hack Baker oy as an oy. example. Trouble. Yeah, he's, yeah, he is. <laughs> a lot of trouble. Um, but someone like Hack Baker, how would you launch a live act like that? Because at the end of the year, you had a sold out tour. Mm. Uh, he supported people like Slow Tie. Yep. And it felt like people that were outside of being interested in new music started to hear his name. Yep. So what was that journey like? Do you know what? Hack's journey and mine is a really great one, actually. And again, it's thanks to people like now who I got to meet somebody like Hack. And the way that I signed him was that he came to my office one day and he walked in. He was wearing like flip flops and these weird shorts. And I was like, who is this guy? Like, he's so weird. And then like he came on my balcony in my office and he started playing his guitar. And it was so moving and so emotional. I was like, this guy's got serious talent. And with live music a lot, it's very different from booking DJs. 
you know, you have to build a real structured plan with them. You have to look at them and hear their sound and think, where do I want that? Where do I want to see that person play? Where would suit them? Because you also have to protect artists and not let them run before they can walk and not oversaturate them with gassing them up too much and understand their journey in life. So he released his first EP. Um, it was beautiful. People loved it. It was, as you know, it's a very, you know, it's very charismatic. It's, it's beautiful. And from there, I kind of then hammered it out to promoters. I was like, you know, again, you need to hear this guy. This guy is sick. I keep saying sick, but he really is. And um, and then I built him up through doing a, a mini run of, of shows, um, which we used um, very intimate venues. So we used things like Bethnal Green Working Man's Club. We also did some kind of like alternative shows where. He's like Isle of Dogs, proper East, you know, through and through. And I was like, okay, where, where do you love going? Like, where did you start to play this music? What's what the journey for you? And he's like, well, I love pubs. And I was like, all right, <laughs> who doesn't? And then I was like, okay, tell me more. And he's like, well, you know, I have this big thing about, you know, British legions and pubs and the history of East. And I was like, all right, let's just, let's do some shows. And we did one in like West Ham Social Club. We did a tour in the back of pubs, which were like 50 to 100 capacity. And we made a real big song and dance about it. And we sold them out. And you go out with the sold out artwork. You send that artwork to your promoters and you say, we want this guy on this festival. You create shows and make them like acoustic and beautiful environments. And that's how, does that, yeah, that's how we met. That's how we built. And we're still building. So this year we have his next tour coming up. And that was similarly, you know, looking at the last EP, Babylon, which is nine tracks, a very, very deep body of work. So I was like, you know, again, what kind of shows do you want to do? What do you want to have from this? Um, so we're doing like a run at the Moth Club three nights, which have sold out. We're going to do, we've sold out all, all shows actually regionally, apart from two, but like they'll go in a second. And yeah, so I guess you just have to work with people and, and you have to kind of immerse yourself in a live artist's kind of their mind a bit you have to really respect that because a lot of agents and managers don't they see somebody and they just want to run with them and I think that you have to be careful with that take time yeah what happens when you are obviously with people like hack that when you sign when you sign them they are unsigned and you're working with them directly like them and the artist managers what happens when an independent label or a distribution company or a major label comes and gets involved with the single campaigns how does your strategy change sometimes it can be tricky you know because <laughs> i work for an independent agency so we're like a boutique agency but we look after international acts like major laser and gigs and loads of people but sometimes when you get major labels they sometimes you know they want to go big 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 so you do have to fight your corner a bit but i am thankful to say that a lot of the pretty much all the clients that i work with we have I'm going to say this now, bloody hell, touch wood, they might all sack me after hearing this. <laughs> but we have a very close relationship and we, I like to build trust with people and I'm quite honest. I'm like, listen, if you want to go to this person or if somebody's going after you, you need to let me know. Because, and that's something that I really try and push on people. But luckily with Hack, you know, we have such a fantastic team. We've got Eve from Cabalt, which who's amazing. I hope she listens to this. But she, we work together really well. And, and you know, she's a real asset to the team. And it, it's those sort of things that are nice that you get to work together. And Ash, she kind of works for September Management. He's working with him. And it's a real team effort. And that's really important. And you've got to kind of stick to your guns a bit. Like, don't let people fuck you about. Even if you feel that you're... I don't know, not this person that's been in the industry for 20 years or whatever, but you can still hold your own, you know? I think that if you if you have a gut feeling, especially in the music industry, I don't know what it's like in other areas because we've always been in music, but what I'm hearing a lot in this conversation is it's all about passion. And if you strongly believe in the artist that you're promoting or the artist that you are and that you're with, then that's what's going to get you through it. 
But you're saying that obviously sometimes there is disagreements. How do you as an individual conquer that? Mm, I have to like bite my tongue a bit and <laughs> go into like planning meetings and be all bougie and nice. But um, I guess the, the, the kind of the way to handle it is to ensure that your client is always going to back you and equally not get kind of, you know, what's the word? Um, not get like influenced too much by other people. If there is a situation, then I will call that person up separately and I'll be like, let's have a meeting about this. Or, you know, talking is really, really important because I know that I hide behind a lot of emails. Even somebody came up to me, I've like, I've spoken to you before on email. I was like, oh gosh, I hope it wasn't an arsehole. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess you just have to have trust and faith in people. But if the situation does occur, you just have to kind of sit back, you know, break it apart. Think to yourself, how do I resolve this? How do I deal with this situation whether it's a major label trying to like kick you out as you know a younger agent whatever you just have to kind of deal with it sometimes it might work sometimes it doesn't but it's all a learning curve you just got to take it and just crack on one of the things you mentioned to me before we started was about the perception of an agent and sometimes <laughs> it can be like yeah it's the perception of an agent can sometimes be like our oh, asshole yeah. i guess <laughs> no they um, are known as that though isn't it? i mean do you lot all think that agents are really nice or are they known for being like Right, hands Actually, up if you think agents oh, no, are known as nice people. Oh, no. Hands up if you've heard if you've heard bad agent stories. Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh no, there's like um, a room full of hands. <laughs> <laughs> but as someone who works very closely with agents on all levels from booking acts yeah. myself or having an agent, you know, um, tell me a Tell me, like, the myth behind the perception. I think sometimes the myth is also sometimes quite true. Like, I'll be honest, when I first became an agent, I think I was a bit of an arrogant... I was a bit arrogant, and I, was, I had to really learn that don't be like that and be nice and just talk to people and always respond to people, no matter how busy you are. Because at the end of the day, that's somebody who's coming to you to try and book your client. That's That's... That's good. Like, don't be rude. Like, it's, it can be a bit stressful because obviously, you know, particularly in Clubland, Clubland is historically a quite a dark place behind the scenes. So there are occasions where you do have to be a bit of, you know, you've got to really hold your own and you've got to fight for your artist. And, you, and I do do that now. But I think that it's important to maintain professionalism as much as you can. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. We are, with also without meaning to like generalize agents and everyone else in the industry, we also were talking about when you're going out a lot, which as you are, you're going to gigs, you're doing things. There is a perception that sometimes, you know, certain people in roles like A and R's can be lads, 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 and they can come in the next day and be super hungover, and that it's all kind of part of it's part of the role, and that's what you do. But as a woman, sometimes it's like you've still got to hold hold your demure a little bit. And Reggie's there, like nodding along, like <laughs> yeah, I feel you. How? How have you handled that throughout your career? Oh, loads of really amazing wigs from PAX. And like, I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. Like, you will see me next week. You will not recognise me, I swear down. When I first started, I think that there was, like, because, you know, I have to go to a lot of festivals. I'm at a lot of shows. You know, you're out till six in the morning, five in the morning. And there is an element, which what we were talking about, which I found when I first started in the industry, particularly at festivals and stuff, where I do think that men get quite a big blight about it because, you know, for them, it's kind of like this funny thing, you know, like, but no offence if there's any boys in the audience, but, like, you know, it's kind of seen as, like, oh, it's fine if a guy who works in the industry has been out and I and got smashed. But the moment a girl looks, you know, I went to work one day, ages ago, with no makeup on, which you shouldn't have to wear every day anyway. Somebody said, you, I looked ill. I was like, fucking hell, do you know what I mean? I just had a day off. So it's like, that's quite a lot to deal with. When you're younger and you're coming up in the scene, you're quite like, that's a lot. So there is a lot of kind of times when me personally, I have felt that I've had to kind of not dress a certain way, but always kind of 
be together. Do you know what I mean? Because you, I'm really craved to always be professional, and no matter what environment I'm in. And I think sometimes you do just have to go give yourself a break, love. <laughs> how has the role of an agent changed since you started out? So how is your role different now in 2020? I think the more you build your roster and the more artists that you sign, um, I'm a massive advocate for being very much involved in all of my clients' careers. So I will often step out and do more things than just book shows. So I will help curate a lot of lineups. I will help team up a lot of my artists with, um, I don't know, stylists to makeup artists to hairdressers because I also want to use my position in the music industry at the moment to advocate other people that I work with and there's nothing better than building your own team do you know what I mean like and that is really important to me and I can thoroughly stand by the fact that I still do that to this day and I think that's definitely above and beyond what an agent usually does but I think that's a great thing because I just wouldn't imagine anybody not wanting to do more for the people that they love to work with. I think that in the music industry as well, we have all tried different jobs. You were talking about it earlier. We definitely have done that as well. And there's a lot of different faces in the room, some people that I know really well, some new faces, which is great. I think what would, advice would you give to those listening that want to start in music, don't really know what a plugger is or what an A&R is? Like where, where do they go? I think first, firstly, one of the things that I definitely taught myself was whatever role you want to go into or if you're unsure, find out every role that is in the music industry because from my side, I work in business and there's actually so many roles that you wouldn't even believe and some of them people think oh that's really mundane and that's like really like too much paperwork but you can do a role and then do so many other things at the same time and from what I've learned do everything find out what you're really good at and what you love and then just run game with it and you was you was an assistant um, yeah. and then now you have assistants <laughs> <laughs> so you know what what makes a good manager how do you manage people and delegate and you know i guess uh, help people grow as well don't be an arsehole like really honestly because when i i mean this is difficult because there's a room full of people i don't know who's listening but i did work with somebody when i was quite young and they weren't very nice at all and that really affected me like i remember coming home one day she was so mean to me and it was like and i was young young and i was just like so upset and I knew, and I worked out why she was doing it, is because she was actually really shit at her job and she was deflecting. And the moment I found out that, I was like, A, I'm quitting, and B, I'm never going to talk to somebody like that. Because even if you're stressed and you're pissed off, you need to remember that you're the one who's probably making double what your assistant is making. And that person's in the office every day doing your shit respect them I mean obviously if they mess up you've got to tell them but you teach them you don't shout at somebody you advocate people you teach them what they've done wrong and build them and and you know another thing with our office is that we work massively with well I try and make people work massively with kind of going out and finding people like again with people that have introduced me to doing talks and stuff and in the office now we've got like, I think it's like three or four assistants that have come in from me meeting people at talks or interns that have come in. And I think it's so important to meet people on this sort of level and try and work with people because it's, it's good and it's nice. And people are quite like-minded, do you know what I mean? Yeah. From a broader sense, the live landscape has changed hugely and especially like how we strategize artists now is so different from the radio and streaming side of things and where you can build an artist live. I mean, what, what can you see in the next five years? How much is it going to change? Ooh, do you know what? I'm hoping for it to kind of flip reverse and go back to the old school days. Like one of the things that we did with Hack actually on one of his shows at Bethnal Green, the way that we did that is I teamed up 
with one of my good pals, Johnny Banger. He's sick, wearing a jumper. And he's got an incredible mind. And we, I said to him, you've got to make hack. Like, you guys need to do some merch together. Anyway, it progressed into us talking about how we would promote his show. And they were like, fuck it. We'll just go and fucking flyer everywhere. And they did. And, like, we put up this number on the flyer and it was Hack's direct line and people would call and they'd answer. And this was, like, only, like, two years ago. And I found that so like great because it was like when I first started going out raving and you know you'd get the fucking text message and you'd be like on the M40 or bloody like driving through 10 roundabouts in Milton Keynes to go to Hellasgara do you know what I mean like it was like a lot but it was so fun and I think that for me with the live industry at the moment and in terms of from an agent's point of view because my mine is based on sales and getting people into shows it would certainly be about trying to use original methods in a modern way that isn't just based on like likes and social media and how I look I think it's very important to try and even if you are using social media to try and do things you know like with the live acoustic videos online and like just using things that reflect normal life and reality rather than like fake I love that you touched on like actual like printing flyers and things like that because in my area, right, I'm in southeast, and I always see you know on the like the on the, yeah, on on the, the by the traffic light. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I always read it, and I'm Afro, like, oh, Afro DJ Ace is playing that, yeah. there. Oh, so <laughs> and, and I guarantee those raves are sold out. Mm. Yeah, hundred like, percent. Yeah, like, they, people what's at the number? It might get a table, yeah. and they they're planning that night. Yeah. They've seen it seven times, and exactly. they're like, I'm going there. I think it also it opens up the audience to like so many different people. Does that make sense? Mm. Like you know within my work I'm always like trying to break down ticket buyers like where are they from like what ethnicity are they like what sex are they like that's so important and I think that those sort of like flyering campaigns you know everybody can see that there are people without phones still (laughs) (laughs) also not everyone has access to the internet like that Um, I want to touch on finances because I think it's something that we should be more open about and talk more about Um, so financially then you mentioned that you take commission how does it work then are you also got a salary and then how then do you weigh up whether to take on an artist at the beginning because financially it might not be a lot or you know live acts don't make as much money as DJs how does it work for you I think you just, it depends on what type of person you are. Like, you know, I'm not disrespecting anybody in the industry that is all about money. Like, obviously, we all need to live. Like, that's not, there's nothing bad about that. I think sometimes I can be my own worst enemy because I love working with everybody, especially people from the ground up. You know, you can have experiences whereby some months you are down or like, you know, the end of the year when you make your commission. It's kind of like very complex to explain an agent's contract, if I'm really honest. And also you'll be so bored because it will take me about 25 minutes. But um, you work on commission, you pay yourself a salary, you pay your assistant salary. It just depends what deal you've got. Um, and now I've gone on a tangent and forgotten halfway through. But, um, but yeah, you just you have bad years and you have good years. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that... I don't think any agent can sit there and be, like, moaning about what they get paid because if you do your job right and you work hard, you will work with successful people that will make you money. Obviously, I'm in a very different remit than, like, I don't know, fucking Arctic Monkeys agent. He's laughing, do you know what I mean? He's probably living in Brighton with a house. But um, I think it also depends on what genre you work in. You know, like, if you work in live, you can have a band that can blow up and, you know, make a lot of money, a lot. And it depends on what percentage you take. Some people will take 10, some people will take 7.5, some people might take 20. It just depends on what level you're doing. But I think, you know, I like to be comfortable, but I'm not like a, do you know what I mean? Some agents are very, very money driven and will be on the phone like, I want 50 bags. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I want a fiver in a hotel. (laughs) Um, But you said that obviously 
genres does make a difference in terms of the finances. Does that also make a difference on the kind of acts that you take on and seeing your roster? Do you think I would really like a DJ or I'd like a rapper yeah. or, you know, does that my, work like that? My roster is really, um, I like to have a roster which I like to call the United Colours of Benetton, which sounds really <laughs> bad. It's not about race, it's about just having every genre of music because I also think if you pigeonhole yourself in one um, genre, then you can get into a situation where you're booking an act on a lineup, your other one that you're looking after is like, well, why are they up there? And I'm down here, can get a little bit shady. Mm. So um, I think it just, yeah, genres do differ in terms of like what fees they get. That's known, that's a fact. But it's never a moment to underestimate that you might be in this genre that you might not make a certain amount of money. Do you know what I mean? Like, you never know. Like, I've worked with people that have been. I don't know, 50 quid one year, and then, you know, in five years' time, not joke, could be, like, literally 100 grand. It's, like, it's that crazy. And it's also probably quite a private thing as well, because a lot of people don't openly talk about people's fees, which I would never do. I think I would only ever be able to talk about financially what an agent earns. But I think, you know, because do you know what? Somebody said to me the other day as well, it's like, the moment anybody starts to do anything in life just for money, you're fucked, because you lose all integrity. That's my personal opinion. And there's been kind of a lot of speculation online and a lot of articles being written about DJ fees getting out of control. Mm. Do you do you feel that or do you feel like it's all relative? I think that in certain cases, there's definitely artists out there that are getting paid ridiculous amounts of money for like a 60-minute set. <laughs> like, you can't deny that. Like, I'm a realist, you know what I mean? Like, you know, if I see somebody... but. Um, for me personally, that never happens on my roster because every single person, I'm also very honest with people, you know, one year you might be up here because you've got, you know, a huge mix out which has just gone so viral or you might have a track out that's in the charts, you know, you're going to move with the times each year, you're going to have to increase slightly, that's normal because you're going to have taxes, like that's standard, but I'm certainly not somebody that would overcharge. You've got to fight a few people, don't get it wrong. Like Anybody in here who's an artist doesn't want an agent that's going to sit here and go, oh, no, I'm not going to push for money. Because obviously you are, that's your job. But it's also, you know, if you push people too hard, you will damage relationships and you will also rinse your artist out. And I'm all about longevity. So again, if you run before you can walk, then you're going to be your own worst nightmare. The longer I'm in the music industry, the more um, I'm surrounded by amazing people, but I also see how, how peaks and troughs constantly every year is a peak in the yeah. trough and like you said one minute you're here the next minute you're there but then there's a way that you can come back to being there um and i've seen djs that one year they're playing everywhere every single thing and then the next year it dries up because you've done everything yeah. so for you as an agent how then do you deal personally with the highs and lows um i think for me personally obviously it can be difficult on a personal level and a financial level when you have a quiet year but i think you have to pre-prepare pre prepare so for me i work in advance with a lot of my artists so when it's festival season i will work you know three to six months in advance if you want my top tier acts i'm already actively going out and speaking to festivals you know the year as soon as you finish you know right about now we're about coming towards the end of booking for 2020 for festivals but headliners would have been completed by pretty much you know last december um so you have to you have to plan ahead, basically. That's what makes a good agent. You can't just fill a Ross, fill a diary with shows, um, you know, pack it out and then not think, okay, what are you going to do the next year? Like you have to really think about that for just the reason that you said. Because if you rinse it out, then what are you going to do next? And if you are a DJ, then you are heavily relying on you know festival slots and club shows and playing regularly. That's facts. So, you know, manage people's expectations, be honest. 
if you're doing a lot of mail outs, um, you're getting a lot of kickback or you're not getting in shows, then, you know, have meetings. You have planning meetings. Be strategic. I've got a real, like, blah, blah, blah at the moment. Be strategic. <laughs> I think we might open up and do some questions if anyone's got any. Do, does anyone have any questions? Anyone feeling... No questions. None at all. <laughs> I've got one more and then have a think, all right? Um, but you've also started branching out um, and, and working on some incredible um, projects at the South Bank you did in Darba X. Um, you're also a massive part of Afro Nation, not just on the booking side, but actually the logistics and run-ins. How did you elevate into that role? And, and tell me a bit more about it. Well, with my, with not my company, with my boss's company, um, we basically, a few years ago, we've always had a dream and a passion to go back to the motherland. Like, I'm Nigerian, he's Nigerian. And it kind of built from that. And like Afro Nation came from the, that idea. And um, we, we built an office in Nigeria. We have an agency in Africa and um, representing all countries within Africa. And um, it kind of it kind of came from there. And then, um, yeah, so we went to Ghana together. Jams came and played for us. It was sick. And, um, yeah, so then we got the opportunity. Like, we do Portugal, Ghana, Puerto Rico. We're going to expand and do more. And um, I'm always up for getting involved in different projects, um, particularly when it means that I can go back to countries within Africa build there, help there, and not just from a kind of Westerner going in and taking money coming out. That's not my role. My role is to go there, work with people from there, understand what it's about, because the projection, particularly with African music at the moment, is at its absolute peak. I mean, it's incredible. We work with lo lots of African artists, like Wizkid is one of our top artists, and it's, it's really exciting as well. So, yeah, that was a... I'm just remembering, like, moments of you backstage downing champagne and shit. Bloody hell. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was hard work, but it's a beautiful thing to achieve that, you know, we did the biggest um, festival in West, in the whole of West Africa, and that was incredible, like, there's no, uh, there's no other feeling that I can describe just being like, wow, this is crazy, but this is incredible, and, you know, hopefully we're going to go back. How do you connect with people in other territories, just from start? Yeah, um, basically just reaching out, again, in, in terms of uh, the community over here. Um, you know, reaching out to people like Tripping, who basically have a lot of people in, based in different countries around the world that focus on projecting the creative industry from there. So uh, Kay hit me up with some people who were from Ghana, that lived in Ghana. We went over, we made a mini documentary together. Jams hit me up, British Council, we went over there. <laughs> We did something with that. And then, you know, it's just it's just mainly just knowing people. Like, for me, I just reached out to all of my Ghanaian friends. And I was just like, link me. And I was like, I don't, not your UK Ghanaians. I was like, what Ghanaians? <laughs> and then, like, and it, do you know what? It's such an amazing time there. And it was just blowing up. And it was so huge. And, yeah, I got to meet some wicked people. I mean, it was nuts. Don't get me wrong. But then, and then I built a database. So from that... I touched out to our African office and I said, you know, we need to really build on this. You need to have all these contacts. We need to actively engage and continue these relationships and not just go in and out. I want to flip it and talk from, I know we have a lot of managers in here. We have a lot of people that work at labels um, or people, or we have a lot of artists here themselves. So when is the right time to get an agent? Ooh, I think, um, I think, do you know what, actually, a lot of the time I find that people will sometimes approach me being like, I want an agent, I want an agent, and I'm like, well, why do you want one? Because it's like, there's a point when you know you should get one, when it's becoming too hectic for you to manage your own bookings. Um, if that's a good or bad thing to say, I think that's a fact, because also, you've got to remember, people are taking your money, <laughs> okay? So, like, if you want it just so you can... Um, 
you know, say you've got an agent, then that's the wrong thing. But if you're seeking an agent because you want to develop and progress within an established amount of bookings already, then certainly. And also, you know, like for me, a lot of the people that I start to work with, like, you know, I will always build with them. I never go in and work with somebody and be like, I'm taking this from point one. Like, you know, you've got to sit down and, and look at things in a financial trajectory way, making sure that it's beneficial to both parties. You've got to have love, respect, respect and passion for each other. Um, yeah. And what are the sort of questions then when they go and meet agents or there's agents interested in them? Mm. What are the sort of questions they should be Ask asking? for a plan. Yeah, always find, always ask people like, what is it that, you know, because at the end of the day, you're, you're employing that person, you know, with managers, agents, labels, everything, you are employing them. So, you know, I would want to know if I was on the other side, you know, what's, what do you think that you can do for me? Like, what, what shows have you been to of mine? What do you think I can build on? What do you think I've done right and what's wrong? Um, can you historically show me with similar artists how you've you know been successful with them? Um, I think it's always good as well to have a test run period, like always have like a six month period because you know equally you're not going to sign to an agent and then suddenly get bookings every week. It doesn't work like that. You have to work together. Do you know what I mean? Does it matter who else is on their roster? So, for example, if I'm a house DJ. Am I going to want to be coming to you because you look after other house DJs? What's the pros and cons of that? I think there's pros and cons on both sides. I mean, for me, going back to the question earlier, like my roster is a reflection of all the music that I love. So I work in every different genre from techno to house to indie to folk to grime. But I think as long as that person can manage each one and has connections within the industry, um, there's also a level that, you know, your output musically has to be good. And I think no matter what, if you're releasing good music and, you know, you've got drive and you've got good momentum, as long as that person working with you knows their shit and can, like, sort it out for you, then go for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Let's open it back up. <laughs> Anybody got any questions? Sabrina, let's go. I was at Affirmation and I thought it was really amazing and kind of touching on that. Um, as someone that kind of is working in the industry trying to help people grow and become recognised and something I realised in Ghana um, specifically is the kind of underground cultures that are building mm. out there and um, something I'm really keen on is trying to bridge that mm -hmm. kind of channel of bringing those emerging artists from Ghana to mm -hmm. London mm -hmm. and then the same thing recognizing the underground talents that mm -hmm. we have here that are a little bit more left especially mm -hmm. over there and as a booking agent what would you say needs to be done to enable that because if you can imagine even mm -hmm. trying to bring an artist from Ghana there's visas oh it's there's tough a lot, it's a, yeah there's a lot of money 100 like, how do you do that in a way where you can make enough it I can think, be a viable thing yeah I think First of all, with that, because it is hard bringing people over and it's expensive, I think just from what we were talking about outside and what you're doing, I would first try and create a platform where you can exchange those two communities like virally first, build momentum in that way, um, get it popping, and then off the back of that, it's a lot easier to bring people over here. That would be my first thing. And then if you come back to Ghana this year, let me know, and then we can sit down and we can talk about how we can link up people and what we could do together. That would be great. Yeah? Any other questions? There's one at the back. Sorry, no. Shout. Shout, yeah, loud. So touching from what you said about our permission, um, I just wanted to know like, what's been done in the process to try and bring more women into the Afrobeats scene? Yeah. Because it's obviously very, very, it's, it's an exclusive genre, and especially in West Africa. 
for a lot of like regards like the Beatles, Kevin's Act. So it's just a case of as a booking agent, mm. what would you look into in terms of I mean for me, equally, I would just want to know more about every artist coming through. And I think because of my role within Afro Nation is on the like the brand partnerships and stuff. But everything that you've just said, like definitely like even hitting us up, messaging us, like letting us know, like even afterwards, like tell me about the acts that you'd love to see and put forward. Because, you know, one of my roles is even with the booking team is going back and relating this back. And I definitely like even one of the things I want to start doing more of is more groups like this to understand what people are into. Because I think that's massively important, like 100 percent. And any ideas which people have, we are always open to that. And I think one thing to note about Afro Nation is that the team which started was literally like three or four people. Like even with the whole of Afro Nation Ghana this year, I think the, the overall people was only about 12 or something. So now we've got the, we've done it and we've been successful. Now we're going to talk to the government and get funding. Then we can go back and be like, right, these are the things that we need to activate. And these sort of things are happening. And that definitely can go, I can honestly say, even with the team at the moment being like 50-50 now with females and men booking and being a part of that. Um, and even all the teams that I worked with on the ground there, weirdly actually were all female so I know that it's not the artists that were presented there but only because my side was behind the scenes but I definitely think that you are 100% right and that's something that we should do any other questions we've got an incredible woman here don't waste this opportunity don't get halfway down the road and then tweet her <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things I want to ask is um, how do you get people's attention when you really want them to listen to your artists like music that you're trying to record like emails, like how do you present yourself in emails, especially if you don't know them really well. Do you mean from like a booker side or from yeah. an artist side? Yeah, from a booker side or oh. an artist side, like how do you get their attention? Do you know what? I know that people's attention span, especially promoters, when I'm emailing them, is often quite short. So what I tend to do is I'll send out mail outs, which will have um, like abbreviated like bios and images and their latest news. Um, I'll often ask my artists to create sampler SoundCloud links, which is basically a 30 second clip of either their latest release track or like a three minute mini mix or something like that that's gonna capture people quite quickly. And then what I tend to do is then send an email out, I'll then follow up with a call, and then I'll try and engage with people on a very like face-to-face -face or like a phone call conversation. Because you know what as well, once you get to know more and more people, then you can build those relationships. And definitely as an agent, my, my relationships with promoters definitely advocate my work and, and you have to build on that. Does that answer it enough for you? Yeah. Go for it. I think it's important for DJs to have a niche because I think with um, like house DJs and there's people that make their own remixes and such, do you think it's vital or really important for people to have make their own remixes and have something that really like them. I think if, if you're into if you're into doing a remix, then 100% do it. Like I don't think that you know what it's interesting actually. This week we, were, we had another talk that I went on and we were talking about just that. And I think uh, what I would say is don't put pressure on what anybody else is doing and feel like you need to do that. I think if you're into doing remixes, then do them. Like and it's a great thing to do. I think obviously. If you're remixing like a, a known track, that can obviously advocate people more because that track is already known and you're more likely to listen to it. But I definitely don't think it is is defining. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. What do you think? But then if yeah, I guess if ask these guys questions yeah. as well, man. <laughs> no, like. no, 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 it's all you. Um, but I guess like I guess what if you're a multi? Is it harder to be a multi-genre DJ? Because when sometimes if you're a house DJ, oh, I see what you're saying. You're, now. A, house Sorry, like, you're a house DJ, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's very clear cut what you play, what people are gonna expect. But let's say you're multi-genre. How do you sell that? I think you can sell it, but you obviously need to know as a DJ, like what you have to look at what 
um, events and what platforms are, what are you going to fit on in terms of a lineup with that? Because predominantly within electronic music, you know, you're not going to go to a techno rave and, and hear like a hip hop set midway through. That's just not going to happen. But, you know, what I would say is great for that is radio. It's a fantastic platform. And I think that that's definitely a channel to put out a multi-genre like mix on and kind of make that home for yourself. I don't know, it's a bit of a tricky question, if I'm honest, because it's like, it just depends. In terms of booking, it's like if it works on a lineup, which it would probably do at a festival and stuff, then by all means. But if it's a one-genre lineup, then no. I'm going to flip it because we've spoken about this. So I think we should ask you this question. Yeah, because of your Tuesday night show and what you used to do on the weekend and what you were getting booked for yeah, in the past two years. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> um, no, for, uh, this is the, my eternal battle. <laughs> this is the battle that I have been uh, going with, you know. So I was doing, on one extra, I was doing a Tuesday night show, which is down tempo and chilled and really relaxing. Then I was doing a weekend show, which is daytime and I'm playing Drake and laughing and joking. But when I want to DJ out, I'm a, I'm a club, I'm a serious club DJ and I want to play hard electronic music. So for me, what, what I was finding when I, when I sort of initially was, when I initially started is that um, people would be like, but we don't know what she's going to play. You know, so they they would be hesitant to book me because they don't know what they want to play and people like different elements of me. Yeah, but we like her on the weekend, but we don't listen to Tuesday. Or you only know me from when you see me in the club. So what I had to start doing was to start um, booking my own parties. And I was throwing parties and I was putting myself online. I was doing multi-genre parties, but putting myself on lineups that I essentially wanted to be on. So I was booking people like Roscoe does Funky House or bringing people over from Portugal and literally putting their name there and then putting my name underneath. And then people, you know, promoters, like you said, can have short attention spans, but they can also be quite sheepish in some ways. Um, so then they're seeing that and they're like, yeah, she would work with Roscoe. And then before you know it, fast forward two years, I am on lineups with someone like him. Um, so that was kind of, for me, was like throwing my own parties. But what has happened recently, I guess, in the last year or so, is that I've personally had a realignment and I've personally changed the direction that I, I want to go in. And for me, being on One Extra and doing weekends kind of wasn't really helping that anymore. It started to go against me because at the beginning, it was great at building a profile. I was really built my profile way quicker than if I just did a Tuesday night show. Um, but then it started to confuse people again, so they start to know you again. But hold on, but you play Drake on the weekend, so why don't you want to be on a lineup with Mabel? You know, so <laughs> it was that's the conversations that we've we've had. Uh, so for me, it was a case of uh, s stepping back from things, saying no to a lot of things, stepping off weekends, and then kind of realigning from there. So yeah, and you smashed it. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> um, one more question. I saw a hand at the back, but. No? Well, that's all good. That's fine. I think you've, you've really you. been so insightful and so honest tonight, which has been so refreshing. And I feel like we try and um, do these events that not just the someone that's an intern can, can vibe with, but someone that wants to be a CEO or is, is, the next, is next to be a CEO because, you know, we want to kind of have, have, have those conversations that everybody can be a part of and enjoy. And I think you really touched on all those elements. So can we give a big, massive round of applause to Hannah Shabola? Thank you. And a massive shout out to our DJ who kicked off the night, Mads Diamond. And we've got another DJ. We've still got drinks to drink. Let's drink up the bar. Uh, it's all free. Let's go. Also, we've got loads of CBD shots. I don't know what they're going to do to you, but <laughs> just drink them anyway, okay? And um, we've got another DJ jumping on. Go and connect with people. Say hi to someone you haven't met before. Thank you very much. Have a good night.